But then writing it, that was where I stumbled quite significantly because I'd never written a character with amnesia before. That was a first for me. And I'm not sure I'll do it again as a point of view character because I had given him this rich backstory and history and I knew who he was and I developed his character. And then as I started writing, I realized he couldn't know any of it. Yeah. And I hadn't had not really thought about that. I'd not really thought about how difficult it is to write a, a first person point of view character who doesn't know who he is, yeah. who cannot think of anything in his past other than I woke up at the beach and that's all I remember from there moving forward. Because equally so, when he, when he, um, when the man from the, the beach meets the other characters, they can't sit him down and have endless scene after endless scene where they explain this is who you are and this is where you come from because it's really boring. You know, it would be it would be telling literally yeah. rather than showing. Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. If you're new to the podcast, my name is Joanna, and I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. I create this podcast on the traditional territories of the Ha Late First Nations. And as I record this podcast, I have to pass on my grief and horror of learning about the remains of 215, 215 First Nations children found buried at the Kamloops Residential School. I would like us to have a moment of silence. Thank you. Okay, today, today I have author Hannah Mary McKinnon on the podcast. Hannah was born in the UK. She grew up in Switzerland and now lives in Canada with her husband and three sons. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, before moving to Canada, she had completed, you know what I'm doing, Hannah? I'm internally editing. (laughs) That's what it's like being a writer, hey? (laughs) Okay, people, Hannah deserves a better introduction than that. So here we go. Okay, today I have author Hannah Mary McKinnon on the podcast. Hannah was born in the UK. She grew up in Switzerland and now lives in Canada with her husband and three sons. Before moving to Canada, Hannah had completed commercial studies in Geneva and worked as a PA for DuPont. Later, she moved to Neuchâtel, I should have asked her for the pronunciation, and she became the purchasing manager for a high-tech company. Hannah is the author of You Will Remember Me. It is her first, fifth novel, And on Friday, it was on the Globe and Mail's list of riveting thriller novels to start summer off with a bang. They also tweeted that McKinnon is a writer to remember. Welcome, Hannah, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's wonderful. Thank you. Good, good. So how do you pronounce that? What I just, what was it? It Neuchâtel. It's basically French for Newcastle, really. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Neuchâtel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Hannah, you and I have something in common, and it is we both like using sweet similes <laughs> to describe a voice. 
and you will remember me. Maya, your, your character, describes Ash's voice. Ash being this, I could imagine, quite, I don't want to say delicious, but rather nice looking <laughs> man. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Sweet similes right now. Okay. <laughs> and um, so Maya describes Ash voice, Ash's voice as like hot chocolate poured over a banana split. And in my novel, The Unraveling, I say her deep voice made me think of maple syrup. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know, why did you choose hot chocolate? And I'll mention why I choose maple syrup. <laughs> uh, well, I love chocolate being being partially Swiss. That's, that's just, uh, I think it's just in my blood. Chocolate must be in my blood. It has to be. Um, and it, Hot chocolate. There's a there's a uh, dessert in Switzerland called a Coupe Denmark. So it's a, an ice cream. So it's vanilla ice cream with whipped cream and then hot chocolate sauce. So if I put that in the book, people, I would have had to describe what it was. So a banana split seemed seemed close enough, and it's just thick and luscious and 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 delicious. So that's why I thought that's how I heard his voice being just a. a yeah, like like hot chocolate sauce over over an ice cream. That's that's how I heard it in my head. Um, and yeah, I love chocolate. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So for me, this this person I wrote about, she's oh, she's statuesque. And in my mind, I imagined Iman, David Bowie's wife, yes, being this character. And I have memories as a child when we lived in Ontario, going out to where they tapped the trees yes. to get the syrup. And I always, you know, I'd, I'd see the thickness of the syrup. And mm -hmm. I, and to me, that I thought it was rich. And I wanted I kind of to describe this woman's voice as being rich and deep and yeah. So yes, okay. yes, we, we did that too. Went up to different places in Ontario to to uh when it was maple tapping season it's quite extraordinary it's not not something i ever saw in switzerland so that was that was quite unique glad you saw that good good yeah. okay now your first book was a rom-com mm -hmm. but then you switched to the dark side of suspense <laughs> and we'll get to that and i'm wondering when did you know you wanted to be a writer and and why did you you pick a rom-com at that at that time it was it was quite late on, um, to be honest. It was when we moved to Canada in 2010, when I'd had a very long and successful career in IT recruitment. Uh, I was the CEO of a company, and when we moved to Switzerland, uh, sorry, when we moved to Canada, um, I started up my own business here, and it didn't work out. It it failed, so I found myself at a crossroads, having to decide whether to continue on the corporate path and indeed the path that, I, that partially had been why we'd moved to Canada. My husband's Canadian, but we figured that here we could have a better work-life balance because I basically had none. I worked full-time. Rob was a stay-at-home dad. We had three boys in 16 months, so he was he was very busy. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we had twins <laughs> the second time around. People doing the math going, wait, what now? Um, so we had we had twins the second time. And it was, it was very, it was very, it was a, a bleak time for me professionally because I'd gone from such a high powered career to failure and coming to Canada was supposed to be a, my, this new business venture was supposed to be successful and that would allow me to work from home. Rob started up his own electrical company and all that was going to work out and it didn't his did his company did really well and has continued to do really well but mine mine failed so the question was well if I if I take another corporate job it's going to be downtown Toronto longer commute than I had before I'm going to see the kids even less than yeah. before so I didn't want to do that and the question was well, okay if you're not going to do that what are you going to do and I moped about a while and Rob said, well, if you could do anything, what would it be? And I half-heartedly said, well, I, I, 
really like to try writing a book. Mm. And he said, well, if you don't do it now, you might not ever do it. So do it now. Um, and so I did. And the rom-com was really because I chose rom-com because that's what I'd read for a long, long time. And I had this idea where a woman in her early 40s, maybe with, maybe not, with some curly brown hair, if you can see where this is going, who is wondering about the choices she's made in, in her life, specifically what might have happened if she hadn't met her husband, if she'd married her first ex-boyfriend. And the next day, after an argument with her husband, she wakes up married to said first ex-boyfriend but she's the only one who realizes that uh, 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 this isn't this isn't normal yeah. so she's getting a glimpse of how things might have turned out had she made different choices so it really was uh, in a way me writing myself a happy ending you know dealing with because it was it was a we moved to Canada to a place where we have no family we had no friends. We didn't really have no connections or roots or anything at all. And my husband and, and three sons, I mean, my husband's Canadian, so it was easy for him. And the three boys, they were a little bit unsettled at first, but very quickly, as soon as they went to school, things, thing, you know, they, they've been fine, absolutely no problem. And for me, it took a lot longer, a lot longer to, to feel like this was my home. Yeah. So that was that was really why if we hadn't, funnily enough, if we hadn't come to Canada, I don't think I'd be writing. I'd probably still be working. And I'm so glad we did. OK, good, good. Oh, great. I can relate to that. I can I can relate to moving from Victoria to where we are now. And mm -hmm. the podcast came about just because of feeling so isolated and not knowing anybody. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so it's a different way to reach people and meet people. And that's quite extraordinary. So yeah. things that happen when we out of a move or out of a, well, the pandemic, indeed, as yeah. well. But that's so that's so interesting. When we're desperate. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> right? I was in a desperate spot. <laughs> OK, so anyway, so with your book. OK, so your your first book was a rom-com. Yes. Um, so why did you decide to switch from rom-com to thrillers? Well, I wrote the rom-com and when I started writing my second book, The Neighbours, I did, I, it felt different. I knew it was, it was grittier, it was darker. And I really liked that because I used to, I used to read thrillers and suspense all the time. That was my go-to genre when I was a teen, right up until my say mid twenties. But then um, my best friend died in very horrendous and tragic circumstances. And it put me off thrillers completely. I just couldn't, I couldn't deal. He was, he was murdered. So oh. I, I couldn't deal with reading something where somebody died at the hand of someone else. Yeah. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal yeah. with watching it. I couldn't deal with reading about it, whether it was fiction or nonfiction, I was just not interested but when I started writing what became The Neighbours, it, it, it's not a straight up thriller. It's a, it's a domestic suspense and people yeah. die, but it's, yeah. not, it's not a psycho in the kitchen with a knife type yeah. um, thing. I've, I've gone darker since I wrote The Neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> but it, was, it just felt the characters were flawed and as they were in time after time I rom-com too but it was just gritty and I and it was really interesting and then I was at the library and I happened completely by accident to stumble across Jennifer Hillier's debut novel Creep and it has a very creepy cover it's grey and it has these big red um, shiny letters that say creep and a pair of handcuffs that are dangling down from from the second e and I thought oh, that looks interesting and I don't know I think it was the cover that made me pick it up I hadn't heard of Jennifer Hilly at this point so I picked it up I read the the back and I thought yeah I'm, I'm taking this one home I, yeah. uh, this is coming with me and I read that one and it's very dark it's darker certainly darker than the neighbors but I loved it and it reminded me of my love of thrillers Okay. And that book really propelled me off the edge. And, and as I read it, I thought, this is what I want to write. This is, mm -hmm. I want to write the scary stuff because if I write the scary stuff, 
I can either, first of all, I can I can control everything that happens. Yeah, and I can control what the 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 bad guy's fate is, which I couldn't in real life. I had you know, I, I was just experiencing what had happened to well, not what had happened to my friend, but the the repercussions of that situation. I just couldn't I couldn't do anything about what yeah. had happened. But I could in my books and I could either let the bad guy get away or, or girl get away with it or not. But I was in control. And that felt strangely powerful, yeah. I, th- I think, in a way. It was my way of controlling and dealing with, with, with what had happened. And so I decided that I really, really wanted to explore writing about messed up families and situations. And it seems with every book I get darker. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous. And may, maybe you know, as much as when I wrote the rom-com, I needed to write myself a happy ending and everything's perfectly fine. You know, my husband and I have been married for 22 years. Great relationship. Love our boys. They're fantastic uh, boys. They're not boys anymore, but yeah, <laughs> they are to me. You know, they're, they're fantastic. Um so it's almost like a, a game of chicken I'm playing with myself to see, yeah. oh, can you go a bit darker? Can you make a character a bit more evil? Do you dare? Will you? So, so that was how that, that switch happened. And because when I wrote The Neighbours, time after time hadn't yet sold, it was submitted to other to publishers. I had an agent and she was submitting it. I thought, well, it doesn't really matter because nobody's telling me yet which genre we haven't made a decision yet and I and I just I don't think I actually even thought about it I just like the story yeah and so I went with it so it wasn't it wasn't even a conscious okay I'm moving now from rom-com to something darker I just did it yeah because I like the story okay and we'll we'll talk about going darker and and (laughs) down that tunnel yeah okay so thinking of dark themes and violence Mm-hmm. Well, here we go. Um, right. Well, let's go into it. So I find that once I've gone to that dark place, it's almost like, oh, it's almost like, you know, I think of, I remember the cover of children as, was it children in the attic where it's almost oh, flowers in the attic. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, <laughs> open that door to that darkness. And yes. It's like, okay, are you going? And it's like, yes, you are. And yes. I find it's almost like once you go down that path, it's easier to go back down that path again. So you're finding that you're you're getting you're opening a lot more darker doors. Definitely, definitely. And flowers in the attic. I remember my mum when I was a teenager, and maybe I don't know. I'm going to say maybe 13 or 14, and she said, "Oh, this is a great book. You should read this one." Now I'm thinking, "Well, really? You gave me that at 13? It's a pretty messed up story." Um, but she loved thrillers as well, so so I was always plundering her bookshelves. But you're right. I I think that that you push the limits and the boundaries a little a little bit farther, a little bit more, and a little bit more, and explore. Um, there's one thing I. It's weird. Maybe there's been a little bit of a shift, but I've always said I will not write about cults because my that was what happened with my with my friend at the time. Um, his father murdered him. He was a cult leader and a oh whole horrible story. And yeah. just ugh, we could do a whole podcast about that. But yeah. but that was why I, I don't like watching stuff about cults. I will not read anything, um, you know, in fiction or whatever. I'm just or even nonfiction. I'm just not. I just can't go there. But recently I have been thinking, what if you did? Yeah. Because you have knowledge, um, you experienced something related to, to, to a cult. You know, I didn't know his father was a cult leader. I had no idea that he'd been in it as a kid yeah. and been raised in that. So part of me, for now, it's a small part, is thinking, well, what if you did go down there? Would that help you? Would that somehow, because you can then control the narrative. You can decide what happens. Um, So it's not something I'm quite ready yet. That's that's still my, that's still locked up in a box, but Mm -hmm. it seems to be slowly creeping open and I'm not quite sure what to do with that yet. Because it wouldn't be the story of what happened, obviously. It would have to be something completely different. Yeah. Um, 
But the fact that I would be in control of that narrative is very appealing. Yeah. And I find with myself having worked as a Supreme Court assistant in the prosecutor's office, there are certain topics I mm-hmm. will not touch because I mm-hmm. just can't go there. It's, I find it's almost like this fine line for me between like writing a thriller and how far I'll go remembering some of the files we had at the Crown Council office. Like you said, yes. I've, I've got to control it's controlling that narrative and knowing what what topics you're going to touch right right well in particular you know those cases that that you dealt with that you heard of that you that you saw they're real yeah and that must be I'm sure there yeah I totally understand there are topics where you think okay no I I saw that I heard that um I'm not I'm not dealing with that it's just too too close to home, just too much. That's completely understandable. As the sad situation with your friend, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah, yeah. It's a fine balance. But I'm yeah. I'm I'm curious. I don't know if in five years' time I'll be listening to this podcast and somewhere along the line will I maybe have written a cult book? I don't I don't I don't know because I was always adamant that I never would. And now I'm I'm it's funny. It's it's I don't know if it's just perspective or yeah. time. Yeah. I, I really don't know. It's 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 odd. The brain is a wonderful magical thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, or, or even just if you think about it, respect for what had happened, right? So yes. it's. I'm curious to find out if you do too. So yeah, yes. we'll, we'll I'll, I'll keep stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So can you give our listeners a brief summary of what you will remember me? is about with pleasure so it is a amnesia thriller that features three main characters as one we'll call him the man from the beach who wakes up on a beach he doesn't know where he is how he got there or indeed who he is he has no idea then we have lily who's looking for her boyfriend jack who went missing after an evening swim and then we have maya and Maya's also looking for someone. She's searching for her estranged stepbrother, Ash, who upped and left and disappeared from town two years prior. And the question is, is the man from the beach Jack, Ash, neither or both? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving it away. <laughs> neither am I. <laughs> so I, I know I like writing in the first person mm-hmm. and I'm curious to find out why you write in the first person because in this novel we have three first person points of view so. yes yes I um so time after time my romp was third person okay. and I think it was um because that's what I'd read mostly third person I went through through well a number of years I found first person was was a bit difficult to read you know I felt it was a bit self-indulgent it's always I I me me but as a writer but I don't know what it was maybe there was a trend afterwards where there were so many books in first person you just kind of had to get on get on board with reading it or you didn't I don't know what it was but um I love writing in first person I love reading first person because you can really get into the characters' heads. You know what they're thinking. You know what they're feeling. And it's just, I think it's a a far, for me as an author, it's a far more immersive experience when I'm writing in first person. Is it it the same for you? Do you you feel the same? You get in the boots, like literally. (laughs) You really do. You really, really do. Yeah. And you're in their mind, uh, their their mindset. And and, and I feel... um, I understand my characters better when I'm writing in third person because I'm really getting under their skin. I'm really getting to understand what makes them tick. And I think, I hope for readers who are, who are reading the novel and they see these, um, these first person, these three characters, but in first person that they really understand because they're all pretty messed up. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's what I write about, uh, messed up characters and situations. 
But I think it also allows the reader to better understand the characters and to understand why they are who they are, how they became who they are on in chapter one. Yeah. And that's really important to, to me um, as an author, that I understand my characters, that I know that I've developed them um, and made them as fully fleshed out as, as possible without actually making them real yeah. um, so that, that I understand, okay, so these are all of the events in their lives that have, these are all the things that have made, that have made them the people they are when I start the story. Yeah. Um, so I spend a lot of time developing them and thinking about them and interviewing interviewing them. Yeah. It's a three-page questionnaire, but I'll, yeah. I'll, I, I call it interviewing them. Yeah. And also making them different from one another, making sure that their backgrounds aren't all the same because then they'll sound the same on the page. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that's, yeah, I, I do, I really, all of my books actually from the neighbours onwards, so from book two onwards, Including the one for next year, they're all first person. Okay. Are yours also first person, all of them? Yes. And I think that's because one of my biggest influences as a teenager, I read just about every Dick Francis novel that there was out there. Oh, and he wrote yes. he wrote first person. Yes. No. So uh he yeah, yeah. So that's so interesting. I think yeah. I think we are influenced very much by what we what we've read when we first start writing before we find what works best for us I think we're just kind of trying out stuff that we've seen other people do that we've enjoyed maybe consciously yeah maybe less so yeah um I think that was the case for time after time it was just oh I've read a lot of third person I don't think I even really thought about should I write this in first person or third I just I just did it was yeah um so I think we're all all heavily influenced by what we've what we've grown up with. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about your novel, um, three points of view, POVs, um, like I'm, I don't know whether it has something to do with being, and I'll say 50 ish. Okay. <laughs> Me too. I'm 50 ish. Okay. No way. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm done with rules. Okay. Like I started writing in the early 2000s and uh, 2000s and I followed the rules and um I, I want to make sure this doesn't sound like a feel sorry moment for me that's not what I'm getting at but I followed the rules I think I got tired I got disheartened and I stopped writing for uh, for uh, for about 10 years or so okay and uh, and when I started up again I just thought no more I am going to write for example, my current story, I have, it's the majority of it is in first person. I do have a few scenes where it's in third person. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm of the view where, yeah, I'm probably breaking rules, but I am going to write this the best way I can to get across the best story I can. Okay. Yes. So, um, did you ever feel like you were breaking the rules with your latest book? I don't, I don't think so. So when, when I set out on my writing journey, I didn't really know what the rules were, okay. to be honest. I just thought, I've read a ton of books, I'm going to write one. So it was, it was um, confidence bordering on arrogance along with a whole bunch of being very naive you know I because I didn't really know what I was doing so I don't think I we do all do yeah. I don't think we do okay sorry I interrupted you <laughs> no, you're right and I remember an editor uh, I hired a freelance editor to to help me whip the manuscript in shape after it had been rejected a number of times although agents had said some agents had said we really like the premise, but your execution needs work. So I thought, okay, I'm going to, I can work with that. I can, I can help find someone to help me because they believe in the manuscript. So I'm going to, I'm going to read, I'm not going to write something different. I will just rework this one. And this freelance editor was brilliant. And I remember her saying, okay, you've got a couple of POV slips. And I thought, Oh, what's that? (laughs) And she pointed them out and I went, Oh yeah, and there weren't many. There were not many, which which was quite astounding, really, considering I had no clue what I was doing. But then she also said, 
you have a lot of um you've heard of show don't tell so yeah yeah so well here here's some oh I get it now and then she said you also use cliches and you should never use cliches and I thought oh that's interesting because in corporate language when you're in a board meeting people talk in cliches all the time there's talk about so um that's fantastic let's dovetail into blah blah and I would never write that in a book but in in business speak it's used all the time in board meetings to the point where now when I hear it it makes me giggle because (laughs) in writing you don't you don't know you don't know cliches sure if you flip them around and you make them funny or you you do something with it but otherwise they should be banned yeah and so I don't that was something that I hadn't really realized so I think I'm quite conscious of the rules when I write. So now uh, you would be hard pressed, I think, to find a POV slip, even in my first draft. It's just not it's just not going to happen because it's been ingrained in my brain so much. Um, I felt I broke the rules maybe uh, a a tiny. Well, no, maybe, maybe. I don't know. It depends. So in The Neighbours, I initially had three point of view characters. Okay. And my editor suggested a fourth. Oh. And I panicked. I thought, well, how? Because they all have to be even. And she said, no, they don't. You just, we we just need the fourth one. It was the neighbor's wife. Um, And she said, you just need a few chapters sparingly throughout. So that felt like I was breaking the rules. And to be honest, I'm rubbish at breaking rules. I've never been a rule breaker. I've always been a bit of a nerd. Okay. <laughs> okay, I've been a nerd. But I think you're right. <laughs> it needs to be the best story. Yeah. Uh, and if that means that that you uh, I'm thinking of one uh, Big Little Eyes, Leanne Moriarty. I don't know if it was a rule it wasn't it wasn't really breaking rules, but at the end of every chapter she had a tiny little snippet of a police interview which I thought was really interesting. That's cool. And yeah. it was cool. And Jilly McMillan in, oh gosh, which one was it now? Uh, was it Odd Child Out? Maybe it was. She had a website, even with the, the logo of the website. And then in one of her other ones, I, I Know You Know, I think it was called, um, she had podcasts. And I just thought that's so interesting because we've been typically novels are, are dialogue narrative. That's yeah. the construct chapters, dialogue narrative. But here we have snippets of interviews or um, the transcript of a police interview or of a session with a um, psychiatrist or whatever, or then even a website with the with the logo in it. And I thought that's so interesting to do that. That's um, in the book. In the book, yeah, or or you see some books with tweets um, or emails, and I'm thinking that's that's really neat that we've been able to bring in. I mean, it's not like emails and modern technology, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but certainly with podcasts or or, or um, more recent stuff that those have now gone gone into books. I personally haven't done that yet, yeah. But it's really interesting that that is available to us to to make the book a little bit different. It's really neat. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I'll stop thinking. <laughs> the, the, the wheels are going here. Okay, okay. So your characters. Um, now I'm thinking about an ins- your characters. Whoa, and I'm thinking about an incident that happened to me where. I have this one character and he says a line of dialogue and it's, it's, it's just what he would say. And I remember the next day I was thinking, Oh, this line of dialogue, maybe the readers won't like it or won't like him, but I thought it doesn't matter. This Mm -hmm. is what he would say. So, you know, I, you can't cushion it. Because this is, and it's not like I used any foul language. It just, it, 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 it's nothing like that. Um, he just says this really kind of self-indulgent comment. And I thought, you're not touching that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Oscar would say. So do you find it's more enjoyable writing the sketchy characters or the, the self-indulgent characters than let's say 
Because you said your characters, and I've read your characters. They they've got some. I don't want to say issues, but they've they've got some history here. <laughs> we can say issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, do you find that more enjoyable writing the? I do, I do the darker characters. Yes. Um, there's the. I won't. I won't say the name, but yeah. but you know who I mean, yeah. and, and you will remember me. You know. You know which one I mean. I loved writing that character. Um, I find it really, really interesting. And I, and I don't, sometimes there are these big discussions about all oh, unlikable characters and in particular, unlikable female characters. And I, I wish we were just done with that. I mean, it's just, let's just get over that. Why do we have, how can you make an unlikable female character still likable? Who cares? You know, <laughs> for me, I don't care if there's an unlikable character, providing I understand them. Yeah. That's my thing. Make them as unlikable as you please. Yeah. Uh, you know that, that that makes them interesting, as likable ones are too. But I need to know why they are like that. Yeah. What is making them behave that way? What has happened to them? Help yeah. me understand, because then I can go along on that journey with them. Absolutely no problem. Yeah. Um, and I really do enjoy writing the darker, gritty ones to the point where. Next year's book doesn't have a title yet, but um, uh, it has a working title, so I won't share it in case it changes. But next year's book, so the one for 2022, is all written from the male antagonist's point of view. And I had so much fun because he's he's um, it's not going to be a spoiler. He has hired a hitman on the dark web to get rid of his annoying wife. she's now gone it's been a month she's out of here Uh, he's waiting to cash in the money and then a partial photograph of her shows up in the mail so somebody knows something but he doesn't know who who they are what they know or what they're going to do next and I had an absolute blast because he's I mean, he's despicable he had his he had his wife killed he's an awful he's an awful awful man yeah but he's funny. Yeah. He's very dry. He's got a very dark sense of humor. And I had such, I mean, if you can, if you can overlook the fact that his <laughs> wife feels, he's actually kind of fun to hang out with. You know, if you could just overlook that tiny, teeny, tiny Little detail. character flaw yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was annoying, you know, and it's all fiction. Nobody, you know, nobody's hurt. It's all good. Um, but I loved that, and I'd never done that before. And I had I had such a laugh with those, as you mentioned, that those lines of dialogue, the things he thinks and the things he says. And I sent it to my editor, and I said, you know, I I, I really hope you like him because he made me laugh. And she wrote back, and she said, "How did you do that?" And I said, "What?" She said, "How did you make me like him?" Because he's such an awful guy, but I liked him, yeah. which is which is fantastic. I mean, that's the feedback I'm hoping I'm hoping everyone will have. Obviously, they won't, but it's you know, cloud cuckoo land right now. Um, but yeah, I do I do really like writing the 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 darker characters, um, even if they're not funny. I mean, even the one in in You Will Remember Me isn't particularly funny. Yeah, but I I really enjoyed writing their chapters and 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 seeing how far they were going to go that was interesting too do you have a preference I'm just thinking of your book and I I know at one point when I'm reading about she's a female there are two females so I'm not going to give it away I'm reading it and I actually felt sorry for her yes and and then you know you kind of get to the end you get to the end and I'm feeling it's like oh geez you know yeah yeah well I know like with the one I'm working on now I've got like I just I have I do I like them if they're a little bit on the edge yes or if they're and I'm gonna say normal in quotes they're still dealing with stuff like yes. I, I think it's the struggle I like yes and yes agreed. yeah ever since I started watching Ozarks and Jason Bateman's character in Ozarks oh where you have a an accountant 
who then starts becoming like a drug dealer laundering money. And the, there's a scene where him, his wife, she's, you know, she's two kids. You look at them and they, they you think they have the good life. Yes. And then there's a scene where you, you just, it's a great scene where you, they start doing the what if, what, because they realize that he is being offered exceptionally good money mm-hmm. to like uh, fix the books for this drug dealer. And they start, and the, you see them rationalize doing this and you just, yes. and it's a great scene. And I thought when I watched it, I thought this is a lesson for writing, you know, just right, right. seeing that yes. turn. Right. Yes. So, yes, yeah. I think yeah. putting putting your regular everyday people in extraordinary circumstances and then turning the pressure up. And, yeah. and that's what that's what I like writing about is taking your average normal person who has a past. Generally, they have a past and secrets and then those secrets in the past starts catching up to them. What do they do? um what 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 choices are they going to make and obviously it's not the good ones because it would be a really short book (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah so I'm wondering how you plotted your novel because Mm -hmm. like I say we so we both established and we both write in the first person um I have a couple a few scenes which are in third and, you know, you're trying to keep the storyline together. And um, who knows what, who knows what, when, who discovers, you know, this other, um, like, secret or conflict. So when you were plotting this, I was wondering, like, was it more complicated than your other books, thinking of the three points of view? Like, how do... <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was... Um... It was certainly more complicated to plot than Sister Dear, which was my my book last year, or the one for next year, or even Her Secret Son to a certain point. That was my 2019 one, because they all have one point of view character. Okay. But I'd done three. So the neighbors originally had three, and then we added a fourth. So I had I did have experience with that. So that wasn't actually what made it more complicated. The plot came relatively smoothly and I do plot I'm a very heavy plotter I'll start okay. with the beginning and an end my two my two uh, uh goalposts if you like and everything in the middle is a bit soupy I might have an idea of one or two big things that happen along the way but then those are the ones I'll develop so I have point a point b I know I need to get from one to the other how do I get there so I I build in big stepping stones and then break those down into smaller ones so okay let's say I have from point A to point B, and there are 12 big points in the middle, how do I break those down further so I can get from one to two, from two to three, and et cetera? So um, that in, in itself, it wasn't overly complicated because in my, let's say, big point one, this is what happens to the man from the beach. This is what's happening to Lily. This is what's happening to uh, Maya. So that was wasn't too bad because I would break it down what's happening with each person okay chapter one this is what happens to each of the three of them Uh, or group one not even chapter Mm -hmm. one but chapter group two this is what happens to them so I would move the plot forward for the three of them at the same time so that was okay. okay that was okay yeah but then writing it that was where I stumbled quite significantly because I'd never written a character with amnesia before. That was a first for me. Yeah. And I'm not sure I'll do it again as a point of view character because mm-hmm. I had given him this rich backstory and history and I knew who he was and I developed his character. And then as I started writing, I realized he couldn't know any of it. <sighs> yeah. And I hadn't had not really thought about that. I'd not really thought about how difficult it is to write a, a first person point of view character who doesn't know who he is, yeah. who cannot think of anything in his past other than I woke up at the beach and that's all I remember from there moving forward. Because equally so, when he, when he, um, when the man from the, the beach meets the other characters, they can't sit him down and have endless scene after endless scene where they explain this is who you are and this is where you come from because it's really boring. You know, yeah. it would be it would be telling literally yeah. rather than showing. So, I had to get a handle on. So, how do I reveal 
his past, in which scenes, with whom, yeah. What does it, what little snippets and filaments can he then remember? And then I had quite a convoluted part where um, I mean there are opioids in the book, the use of opioids, but it, it was a far it played a far bigger part. And because I have absolutely no knowledge or experience of, of benzos, I didn't I didn't feel comfortable with what I was writing. And before I sent it to my editor, a friend of mine, fellow author, but psychotherapist, A.F. Brady, who does addiction, who's involved in addictions counseling and has seen multiple, multiple patients. She read it and she wrote, she said, she said, how dark before she read it, she said, how direct do you want me to be? And I said, go full New York on me. She's yeah. from New York. Yeah. And she said, all right. Okay. All right. And so she pointed out all of the things that that were not accurate or that wouldn't work because I needed I needed a, I needed a brain to stay jumbled in the book. Um, and I wasn't sure how to do that or how it worked. So she was really instrumental in making sure that I that I got it right. So it wasn't the plotting that was the complicated part. Um, in fact, after I plotted it, I thought, yeah, I've got this. Yeah. Nailed it. No problem. Yeah. And then it was it was it was actually the most difficult book for me to write because of the well, because of the amnesia angle. I'm pretty sure that was really what threw me for a complete and utter loop that I had not expected. I could see how that would be difficult. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially when you have yeah. your character's backstory. And like you said, you don't want. I'm thinking of a scene where. Um, the man with amnesia meets up with, uh, I can say her name, Maya, mm -hmm. and uh, they're at Maya's place. And you don't want a scene. I'm thinking of a scene where, the, where they, they, they're at her place. Yes. And you don't want a scene where basically your character, Maya, is sitting there telling him everything. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, so how do you work that? Yeah. Out? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was tricky. It really was. So there are snippets of conversation and and then there's one point where she isn't this isn't a spoiler where she goes and gets because uh, uh, he says, well, can you show me yeah. parents or whatever? And she goes to to get the photo album and then she has a recollection of what went on. So I had to really show the man from the beach has passed through the other characters yeah that was really how I ended up ended up doing it with them yes telling him a, a little bit but sparsely um but then also in their own flashbacks how they saw him and then other characters also meeting him and saying oh this and this or whatever you know, small but small things it had to be sparingly it was and that's what made it. Thank goodness I have a fantastic editor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have come up with a new metaphor. I call it the sandwich metaphor when it comes yeah. to writing. I love that. I, as you can tell I like food. Okay. Right? <laughs> <Me> too. <laughs> so, so I have a new scene and that's a spoiler alert for my editor. Okay. And it's interesting when you look at this, your, your own scene and like everything's there, but I, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, mm, something's not right. I, I can't mm -hmm. let this go. I can't let this go like this. And then it hit me. I thought, okay, like the character is Adam. Let's have him, you know, he he's in the bed in the morning. We're cutting the whole idea of a dream because that's just confusing everything. We'll have the flashback. And then we have him getting up out of bed and carrying on with his day. And I, it, like it just, I was able to take, like originally I had this flashback as a separate scene and by doing that. So I'm thinking of like the, the real meaty stuff. It's like right in the middle. So that's where I get my mm -hmm. sandwich, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the stuff in the beginning, the meaty part, and then the, the ending of it. And I thought, okay, this is smooth. I, I you know, I got to polish it yet, but this works. I'm okay with this. So your writing process, do you find there are times when it's like you are chopping and you're moving paragraphs from here to there, to, to front to back? Um, and when you've had those moments where you're like, this isn't right. 
yes, definitely. Um, I think that comes at a, at a at kind of the mid to later stages when we when I go over. So I'll write my first my my first draft, not my editor's first draft, my skeleton draft. I always call it because it's although I plot it's it's um, there's not a lot of description. The characters are still very two dimensional. There's lots and lots of dialogue, but not much in between because I'm telling myself the story. Yeah. So I do find when I when I've um, gone over that multiple times and done multiple passes, I'll think, oh, hold on a minute the pacing doesn't feel right um and I remember thinking that with um with you will remember me the pacing felt a bit slow but I couldn't figure out how to speed it up and my editor actually said she said let's bring Maya in later that's why Maya doesn't make it so it's not for example the man from the beach Lily Maya and the man from the beach Lily Maya chapters you know it, it she can't Maya comes in later because we didn't the stuff that I had for her could easily be told later on to speed up um, the the, um, the the pacing initially. And the same for the one next year. Um, I felt it, I, I wondered, I thought, I think it's okay, but I'm not sure. It might be a bit slow at the beginning. And then my editor came back and she said, can we move a few things backwards, you know, to the back to speed up the pacing a little bit? So often it's too to speed up the pacing I find that I move stuff around yeah. and sometimes I cut stuff completely or yeah. sometimes I think mm, no the readers it's this is too late to explain this to the readers because they're going to be they're going to be wondering why this didn't happen or they didn't say this or do this or whatever it might be and then I'll I'll move it up so yeah I do I do chop and change and I have to I'll have two word documents open so I'll I'll copy the stuff I want to move paste it into the to the other document and to make sure and then save it to make sure it doesn't go under and then move stuff around or I have been known to move complete chapters as well in um in Sister Dear last year's book I wrote the it wasn't the last chapter it was probably the third to last and at the end I thought this would make a great chapter one Oh, cool! So I put it in the first chapter. So the first chapter opens up where the, the where Eleanor, we know we know someone has died. We don't know who, and we don't know why. But someone has died, and she's in trouble. She's in big, big trouble. And then it goes. And then chapter two starts with fifteen months earlier. Okay. Um, and that that wasn't something I did initially at all. Um, it had actually the book had actually opened with what is chapter two, yeah. and and I decided I thought no 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 this is this is more intriguing. People know people know stuff has gone bad, but they won't know what or why or how. Okay. Um, so yeah, entire chapters get moved sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also liked what you said. Um, when you were, I think you had referred to your first draft, you said where you're writing the story, you're telling yourself the story. Yes. I like that. I, I like that where you're telling yourself the story and then you go, uh, you go back and think, okay, now, now that I know the story now, how, how we're going, how are we going to fix this up? Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Because like my, that. yeah, it's, it, and I think, you know, when I first started writing, and one of the pieces of advice was give yourself permission to write a rubbish first draft. Yeah. And I couldn't get my head around that. I thought, why, why would I do that? Why <laughs> would I send anyone a rubbish first draft? Yeah. But what they actually meant was the skeleton draft. And that's why I call it the skeleton draft, because okay. the skeleton draft is for me. Yeah. My what I call my first draft is the one I send to my editor, yeah. which is the skeleton draft beefed up yeah. you know with muscle and 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 nerves and you know, smaller details and all the rest of it and the hair color and all of that but my skeleton draft no one but me will ever see yeah. that because it wouldn't even make any sense yeah it would not it, it it wouldn't even read as a proper book because it's so choppy yeah um but it's something and for anyone out there who's who's trying to write um 
give yourself permission to write a rubbish skeleton draft to yeah. tell yourself the story that you then polish and, and put meat on and get ready for somebody else's eyes. Yeah. And that was quite, once I understood that, I thought, oh, I get it now. It's not the first draft I'm going to share with anyone. Yeah. It's for me. Yeah. Because you can't edit a blank page. <laughs> um, and, and, and I had this, I don't know if you had this too, when I, when I started writing, I had this, image of my head that in my head that these that my favorite authors would come downstairs to their office and switch their computer on have a lovely cup of tea <laughs> and then start writing and it would just flow effortlessly and I know that's not true I mean it might be for some authors but none that I've ever met we all not sit there thinking oh this yeah. is terrible yeah. this is awful it's the worst thing I've ever written but you can't that's something else I don't do generally I will write I did it differently for the book for next year but I'll write my I'll plot I write my first chapter and now I'll I'll just do a quick edit of it a quick first pass but not not in detail because what's the point in doing a massive edit when I don't even know if it'll make the cut yeah um so I I I don't paint yeah but for those who do or for those who are who are, are wanting to write but keep getting tripped up by self-doubt and they're in a critic and feeling that they need to edit the first chapter perfectly before they can move on to chapter two. First of all, nobody said a book needs to be written in linear fashion. Yeah. You can write the chapters in whatever order you please and then put them in the order that you feel they should be in. It really doesn't matter. You can write the end first. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're writing chapter three and you get stuck, but you know what happens in chapters four, five, six, or 10, yeah. go and write those. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Just yeah. write the damn thing. Yeah. Um, but going back to the painting, the analogy that I always like is if you – watch somebody who paints let's take a portrait yeah they will have a they have a blank canvas blank page they will um draw a u for the face two dashes where the eyes will go approximately an l for the nose and another dash for the mouth very rudimentary they don't start in the top left hand corner and work their way their way down perfectly to the bottom right and sign their name that's just not it's not how it's not how it works it's first a sketch and then okay so I have about where the face will go yeah. and then I'm going to add in more detail and then more and more and layer and layer and layer until at the end you get the sparkle in the eye and the little highlight in the in the hair and then when you're ready you'll sign your name and yeah. it's the same with a book and I think weirdly you would never expect someone who paints a painting to start top left corner and make their way perfectly down to, to bottom right and sign it. it just, you wouldn't expect someone. But for whatever reason, I thought that was how writers worked. Okay. And we don't. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, Hannah, you've been hinting at this, this, this book coming out next year. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, so I take it that's what you you're working on now. You know, that's on your horizons. Because um, I was wondering, do you take a break at all between a book? Um, so the one for next year is done. It's in it's okay. in copy edits now, uh, and I think. I think it was an outlier because as hard as you will remember me was to write and as heavy as the structural, the big edits, the develop, the developmental edits were, it was the complete opposite with the book for next year. Okay. Um, the plot came to me really quickly. I think I plotted it in two weeks. Oh, wow. I wrote it in four months. Oh. And that was with the election and insurrection stuff going on that really threw me for a loop because I was I was I was not very focused for a while while all yeah. that was going on. Um so I wrote it really quickly and the developmental edits were very small. There were okay. there really wasn't a lot to do. It was a bit of moving around, uh, maybe a week's worth of work back to back. I'm not expecting that to happen ever again. Okay. I don't I really think that was an outlier. Okay. Um, so that one's so that one's done. So generally, because I'm on a book a year, what I do is I'll get my editor's first draft, not my first draft, my editor's first draft to her by the end of January. Okay. The year before it publishes in May. So yeah. that then frees me up to work on a the plot for the one after yeah. b all of the promotion for the one coming out so when I handed her 
um, what is book six for next year, for 2022, in January, I was then able to focus on all of the promotion for You Will Remember Me, you know, organizing events and a little promotional video and just, just and then the edits for the, for the one for next year came back and um, working on the, send those back, work on the plot for the one for 2023. So I don't really, do I take a break? Sometimes I'll, I'll take a break. I'll take a week off. You know, I'll, I'll, I handed in, I think I handed in, you will remember me. And then I needed to take a break a week or two, but it wasn't very long. It yeah. was just, it was just a, a week or two where I just thought, Ugh. but even then I was organizing stuff for promotional, um, events and stuff for, for sister dear that came out last year so okay. I might I, I might not be writing yeah but I'm still working on something to do with one of the books that is either coming out has come out or the plot for the next one so I don't I don't think I really I'm not very good at taking breaks I'm actually <laughs> really rubbish especially during the pandemic because I can't go anywhere so yeah. if I'm at home well uh, and emails are coming and I'm not going to let them sit for a week I'll just yeah deal with them so yeah. how about you do you take do you take breaks in between well it's it's interesting because I always get asked the question don't know how, we don't know how you have time to do all this well <laughs> yeah <laughs> we've got a there's there is a pandemic and I yes. honestly I don't watch a lot of tv I just mm-hmm. I don't I get annoyed because I find I'll watch some shows and I think, oh, I want to say, I would have written that differently. It's <laughs> 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 like, really, do you have to do that? It's okay, fine. You know, <laughs> right? but, um, and the shows I watch, okay. I'm going to date myself here. It was the great British baking show. And oh, I love that. <laughs> it's, it's off now. Right. You know, like they're, yes. they're done their season. Yeah. Yeah. The great Canadian baking show. It's yes. done, right? You know? yes. And um, believe it or not, I, I, okay, here's, here it is. I really liked watching The Voice, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to love watching that until they got to the, the, I, I, I like, I love the auditions for that. Yeah. That I found the most fascinating part. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's over, you know? So I see. Oh. And so, but literally those were my shows, okay? Yeah. Like I yeah. could, in on one hand. So like you said, we can't go anywhere, you know, so um, I can't. You're right. So I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll use my time. You know, I, I, I'm, and that's what I do. So, you know, some, sometimes I know I take on too much, but um, Mm -hmm. in terms of books, I remember when the unraveling came out, um, you know, the book launch and it was about, um, month after I started I thought I was I was curious I I remember when it came out I thought okay no pressure to start a second one I know I'll start a second one but no pressure okay yes so it came out and then about like you had said you know arranging for promotional you know events or you know uh articles in um, it was the paralegal society. I did an article and I was able to tie it with the book. Um, and then it was about a month later, cause I would walk to and from work. I loved the walk to and from work. And that's when I plotted out this one. And a month later, you know, I started, yeah. it, 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 there was yeah. no pressure, but it's just, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get this down. It's, it's almost like a compulsion, you know, it's, 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 I haven't now written, um, or started to write a book. So I, I started writing the one for next year in August last year. Okay. Um, so it, it's not like I haven't done anything, but it, <laughs> on the contrary, but I'm itching to start the new project. Yeah. Um, and I could take some time off. There's no, there's no, there's no huge rush, yeah. but I want to, I feel, I feel that itch to plot a story and, and and figure out what it's going to be and then start writing it and then go through the whole I hate this manuscript it's the worst thing I've ever written and then all of a sudden no this is actually maybe this is quite good and then oh this is I'm really getting somewhere yeah, uh, yeah it's quite it's it's it's, it, it's an addiction almost but hopefully a healthy one you know yeah yeah and, and I've definitely had those days when I've read it and I'm thinking this is garbage this is yes garbage. oh yes right and oh absolutely like, highlight cut I'll put it over here you know but yeah yeah so okay Hannah 
my favorite question. And that is, what would you do if you bumped into Maya on the street and maybe for, first check that she doesn't have any sort of construction tool? What would you say to her if you bumped into Maya on the street? Or what would she say to you if you bumped into Maya on the street? Oh, my gosh. What would she say to me? I have a feeling that she would that she would thank me. Okay. Yeah, I have a feeling and, and 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 probably with a bit of a malicious glint in her eye. And then she'd probably cackle and I would run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that's probably what would happen. And then I'd probably have to call the cops because yeah. yeah. I yeah. think I think so. I think I might be a teensy be weensy bit scared, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good answer. Yeah. So where can people find you on the socials? So they can find me. So my website is dead easy. It's hannahmarymckinnon.com. Hannah Mary McKinnon is also my Instagram and um, Facebook. Uh, those are my Instagram and Facebook handles. But on Twitter, I am Hannah M. McKinnon because Mary was too short. But if you go to Hannah Mary McKinnon, Goodreads as well is the same. Bookbub is the same. Um, but there are links for all of that on hannahmarymckinnon.com. All right. Perfect. And I hope next year when your next book comes out, you stop by and we can do another podcast. I would love to. Like, it would be a pleasure. It would be an honour. Thank you so oh, much good. for today's chat. It's been fantastic, Joanna. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Well, bye-bye. Bye-bye, Hannah. Bye. Thank you. Bye.